Listen, I'm going to talk just for a few moments together. Um, what we've been doing in this Lord's Prayer series is slow rolling. I have preached on the Lord's Prayer before, but usually I do it all in one shot. And this season, I've slowed it down. And we have looked at line by line the significance of the Lord's Prayer. I am convinced, I, I have experienced the power of the Lord's Prayer as a prayer, as words for us to say, as words for us to pray. But I've also experienced it as the direction for one's life. In fact, every line is somewhat interwoven with every other line of the Lord's Prayer. You know, if you are familiar with it, the Lord's Prayer is our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as what? We forgive those who trespass against us. And then today's line, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. To pray that prayer, to, to even say that prayer, is a prayer and a direction for our life. Like, it's a little bit like, how, how many of you know, if you get the Ten Commandments right, that's pretty good. <laughs> like, you are actually experiencing the good lives. I would also propose to you that if, if you cannot just have the Lord's Prayer as a lip service, but really as a, as a prayer from your whole being, you will find yourself fulfilling what Jesus would call the law and the prophets. And that you'd be loving God well, and you'd be loving others well. And you have permission to use this prayer multiple times a day. I've been challenging with us the beginning and the end of each day to use the prayer as an invitation for our life, for the way we're going to talk to others, the way we're going to treat others, the way we're going to treat ourselves. But then also at the end of the day... Use a little bit of a prayer of examine, where we just kind of examine the way we talk to others, somebody, the way we treated others. And I'll just confess, I've had to do some repenting when it comes to the nighttime. As I've said the Lord's Prayer, like, ooh, there's a little, little bit of bitterness mixed in on that. Ooh, I got to watch out. There is the, the, you know, the, the way I talked to so-and-so, the, the way I processed, the way I reacted there was a little surprising. And this prayer, what you'll see slowly but surely, begins to transform your life. It takes practice, guys. It really does take practice. And practice after practice after practice, these words begin to get rooted in your life. It's, it's totally unlike, but also not entirely unlike, a ritual my girls have every day that they're in school with the Pledge of Allegiance. You familiar with the Pledge of Allegiance? I don't want to say that is our nation's Lord's Prayer. That is uh, not true. But it is something significant that the uh, founding fathers and those who created would hope that citizens would know how to say, but even more than what they say, how they live. In fact, I remember um, as a South African, and when we came over to immigrate, we had a, way, a 
a set amount of years. And then we had to go through a process of applying for citizenship. And I remember two things significantly during that um, ceremony. Um, I was in a room full of people who were previously immigrants, and there were two things I remember. One is just the, the, the power, the weight of the words when they said, do you renounce all your former rights as a member of your country of origin? And I remember like, I never really thought about that. But yes, I renounce all my rights. And then we had to, in the process, be able to say the Pledge of Allegiance, right? It's one of those things that is not one of those things. It's one of the dimensions, one of the characteristics of being a member of this nation. Well, I remember that being quite significant for me because here I was formerly part of the Republic of South Africa and now a member of the United States. And it, it wasn't just in lip service. I had to go through some tests, make sure I knew enough about the country. Well, similarly, we are formed as citizens of heaven. In that we come to the cross, we come to the ways of Jesus, and we renounce our former ways of living. Amen, somebody? But a lot of times we are giving lip service because we didn't know how many areas of living we had to give up. Amen, somebody? We didn't realize just how much transformation was involved. Well, the Lord's Prayer serves us similarly in that we can get it in our system and it can really begin to transform us. Like coming face to face with forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. That's daily coming face to face with bitterness, with remorse, or as today's prayer and the power, the significance behind us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. How many of you know it'd be pretty cool if Hollywood started praying that? Shoot, it'd be pretty cool if Washington, D.C. started praying that, somebody. There's a way. Could you imagine if all the leaders of the globe prayed the Lord's Prayer, the beginning, the middle, the end of every day, and then started living it? All the wars would whew, cease. It's the same way and if they all started obeying and, and being led into the life of honoring and respecting and fulfilling the Ten Commandments. How many of you know? I'd change a lot of earth's problems, wouldn't it? Well, today's line is lead us not into temptation, but what? Deliver us from evil. There's something in this line... And, 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 and it is this reality that, that God isn't going to lead us into temptation. But it is sometimes that God will lead us, a better word may be testing. That God will lead us at times. He will allow for a testing of our character and our way of being. But the second part is really where I want to spend a little bit of time. Deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I see a tension of two parts in our current society. A tension of two parts. When it comes to sin, when it comes to the fulfillment of temptation, I see kind of two things plaguing our society. The first is this idea of sin and that it is harmless. 
harmless. For sin to be harmless, it is saying there are no consequences. Somebody? Right? We've justified the action. We've justified the direction. There's no consequences. That is one, I believe, of the lies of the enemy that subtly will just kind of pull us. Hey, it's harmless. It's harmless. You ever, oh, we won't do a show of hands, but how many of you know that thought does cross our mind when tempted? Ah, oh, it's harmless. No big deal. The second is this tension on one hand of harmless. Sin is harmless. And then I've noticed this in some believers' lives is that we're helpless. So we're now helpless. So on one hand, we were maybe predicting, looking at sin as as just harmless. Ah, it's no big deal. And then the other side is maybe we've just looked at sin and thought, man, we're just helpless. Like it's, it's my lot in life to be perpetually in a cycle after cycle after cycle. Scripture leads us in a different direction. Scripture reveals that sin has consequences and that we have power through the Holy Spirit to experience victory in our lives. Amen. Amen. Sin has consequences. So on one hand, we've got to identify, man, no, sin is not harmless. It can, it can bring harm. But then on the other hand, we also must recognize that we're not helpless. We have a helper in the Holy Spirit. James 1, 13 through 15, it says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin And sin, when it is what? Full grown, gives birth to death. So I've kind of framed out the sin cycle. Not that you needed this framing out, but I think it is appropriate to understand a bit of the pattern, a bit of the cycle, a bit of the pathway that the enemy likes to invite us or or tempt us, lead us towards. First, tempted when we are dragged away by our own evil desire and intent. And enticed. You know, one of the marks of Christianity, one of the marks of maturity is when we can officially refrain from the phrase, the devil made me do it. Um, it's also one of the marks of just human maturity. <laughs> I love, I don't love it actually, I, I despise it, but when my girls get in arguments, our daughters get in arguments, it's very much the blame game. It's very much, currently, currently, by God's grace, I see freedom coming in Jesus' name. But, but right now, it's the blame, it's the blame game. So, so it's, it's, it's kind of like, do the, mean, do, you know, do, the, do the means justify the end? So I'll walk in. You ever, those of you parents, you walk in in an argument. Or you walk close to the argument because you hear the yelling in the background. You're like, what, what just happened? Well, Lily, you know, punched me well, why did Lily punch you? And they're saying, well, I punched her. And it's, it's, but I punched her because she said 
na 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 and 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 it just becomes a spider web very quickly it's 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 the blame game like like listen like listen it's it's the blame game sometimes if we're not careful in our spiritual journey i'm talking about our inner life we just we just start blaming we just live in the blame mindset well you know my dad's fault a mom's fault Right? It's, it's, it's my past fault. It's just, it's just you ever had somebody say, it's just who I am. That phrase never used to throw me for a loop, but now it's like I, I'll see like, you know, fire trucks screeching in the background when somebody's like, yeah, it's just who I am. No, no. <laughs> Scripture's very clear. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone. The new has arrived. Let's, let's quit the blame game. So James, the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus, he comes along and says, listen, listen, we're tempted when we are dragged away by our own evil desire and enticed. Like, I think praying the Lord's Prayer is an admission that we've done some things wrong, that we have the capability of doing some things poorly, of treating people wrongly, of making decisions that don't glorify God, and we need some help. As part of the power of the Lord's prayer is that we would be delivered from evil. And James makes it very clear, I believe, I believe we can see very clearly that the power of the Lord's prayer, the power of this line comes when we confess, man, we are in need of God's help. Last week's line was forgive us like we need God's forgiveness. This week's line is a little bit of a detail of what we're capable of doing. We're capable of falling for temptation. We're capable of doing evil. Now I know y'all looking back and saying not me. I know, I'm talking about the person next to you, right? But the sin cycle, when we drag away by our own evil desire, and desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, once fully grown, gives birth to death. It's what begins to take place in our life. And so the power of the Lord's Prayer, like this series is, the power of the Lord's Prayer is to practice the Lord's Prayer in our lives. In our day-to-day living. Like I, I am convinced we become what we pray. We become what we pray. And so you think about the incredible significance of Jesus giving these words to his followers. His closest disciples. By the time the next generation would come along. The early church. They had two things to prepare people for baptism. One was the Apostles' Creed. And then the second was the Lord's Prayer. And that their life would begin to be formed and framed and the parameters of their living would be held by the power of these words. And like it wasn't like the first two lines. And then when the lines get a little inconvenient or inappropriate, we can skip on down. No, it was for these early Christians under tremendous persecution and under tremendous difficulty, it was to continue to come before God, to be in his presence, to let him examine their hearts. And then here, nearing the end, this is the final petition in the Lord's Prayer. The final, Lord, I I need, help me. That final one is today's. It It is, lead me not into temptation. 
but would you deliver me from evil? And I want to close, I want to close with a little bit of direction, a few questions. And these come from an author named Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard wrote a great book. He wrote many great books, but one of the great, great books he wrote is called Renovation of the Heart. And I love the book Renovation of the Heart. <laughs> my flesh does not love Renovation of the Heart. My spirit man loves Renovation of the Heart because the book talks about being formed into Christ's likeness. Being formed into Christ's likeness. And Dallas Willard proposes a three letter word V I M. It's a little strange, Vim. But he talks about. The direction of one's spiritual transformation has three parts to it. I want you to just think about this. Our direction with the Lord's Prayer and our direction today in particular with deliver us from evil, we've got to have the V-I-M. One, the V is vision. Only you can answer this question, but do you have a vision for Christian character and the kingdom of God life. Like, am I okay just to slow it down, calm my voice down for a moment? And just to invite you, ask yourself that. Do you have a vision for Christian character and a kingdom of God life? Like the paper trail of your heart when it comes to finances. The... Uh, <laughs> The history on your computer and phone. The text messages that are saved. The, if we were to interview your coworkers about the life you're living, would they be able, look, they wouldn't, they wouldn't have to come alongside and say, hey, this is someone who's perfect. But would they be able to say, you know, there is a vision in their life to be like the one they're following, Jesus Christ. Would they be able to see that? Could you interview my kids? I think you could today. I don't know about last week, but I think, you could. I think I'm safe today. <laughs> could you pull my two daughters aside and, and ask them, hey, does, is your dad at least trying? <laughs> Please ask Emma. Don't ask Lily. She's too proficient. One of the things I've realized when I was reading Renovation of the Heart is I thank God that in my household I was given a vision for Christian living. I thank God. Some of you weren't. The vision that was laid before you may have been even a watered-down faith. It may have been like, oh, it's all good. You just, you just show up to church every once in a while, sprinkle a little like magic Holy Ghost dust on your life, and you're fine. That may have been the vision. I was, I was hearing um, from somebody a, a couple weeks ago um, whose, whose parents did just terrible things. But as long as they were on church on a Wednesday night and a Sunday, it was like nothing was wrong. I was just like, what? what? Where is that theology? Like, ticket to heaven, doesn't matter how I treat people, as long as I'm in attendance on a Wednesday and a Sunday morning. It's like, what? A what? Whoa, 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 whoa. But you may have been shown that. I'm not proposing you have, but we've got it like slow down sometimes. And think about the V-I-M, the vision. Do we have a vision for Christian character 
and a kingdom of God life. Think about this. What do we propagate towards young adults? Like I'm even doing that with our oldest who's 11. We talk about college. A little bit, not a lot of bit, a little bit. Like she got to get through high school. But before even high school, she got to get through sixth grade, somebody. Amen. But what am I doing? When what is Kelly doing? We're just planting little seeds of vision, little seeds along the way of life. Do you have a vision in your life for Christ's likeness? Dallas Willard says that's where it begins. Spiritual transformation begins with a vision for Christ's likeness. I remember when the, the Holy Spirit came alongside me. And um, he said, Paul, this was, a, this was a transformative moment for me. He came, he came to me and he said, Paul, I'm never going to ask you in your leadership, I'm never going to ask you to short circuit the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Like, I'm never going to ask you to manipulate, to guilt, to coerce, to persuade people to advance the kingdom of God. I'm never going to ask you to be angry impatient, unkind, and selfish to advance the kingdom of God. Sounds like an obvious statement. But I needed that. Because I'll be honest. Guilt, manipulation, condemnation can get some things done sometimes. (laughs) And the Lord came alongside and he's like, hey, that's not the kingdom. It's not what the kingdom looks like. What the kingdom looks like is when your back is against the wall... Looks like love, peace, joy, patience, that long-suffering. Looks like gentleness. Looks like kindness. Do we, in our life, right? I can't answer for you. You can't answer for me. Do we have a vision for Christ's likeness? I believe, I propose to the United States to have a vision for Christ's likeness more than a vision for one's retirement. A vision for Christ's likeness more than a vision for one's career. A vision for Christ's likeness more than a vision for the next big thing. As followers of Christ, we are called to have a vision That over the years, over the months, over the days, through life's trials, through life's tests, through life's difficulties, through life's mountain peak moments, through the good days when the wind's at our back, with all of that in the mix, a vision for Christ's likeness. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you. It does say fishers of men, but I think all of us have to hear Jesus, follow me and I will make you, and then he begins to fill in the blanks over our life. So we must have a vision. This is, again, spiritual transformation. Like if we really want to be delivered from evil, it requires some intentionality on our part, which just so happens to be the next word. Vision, the I is intention. Every once in a while, I'll ask myself, do I really have intentions (laughs) of listening memorizing and obeying the words of Jesus and the scriptures? Do I, do I really have an intention of actually becoming who God says we're to become? Do I have intention of living into that sonship or for some of you that daughtership 
of Christ-likeness? Or, or, or is, it, is it just kind of self-serving? Now, I believe God calls us along. He pulls us along and he asks for us to have an intention, a vision and an intention. Matthew 7, 24 through 27, like Jesus said, everyone who hears these words of mine puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And I believe, just so you know, Jesus is the smartest man who ever lived. I believe in the 2,000 years that have come, there's no philosophy greater than the words that Jesus spoke. There's no one who leads us into the way of living and the hope we can have relationally with others and relationally with God. But it does require our intentionality to follow his words. So Dallas Willard says, do we, do you, do I have a vision? And then second, do we have an intention? And then the last is, do we have, or are we participating in the means that actually lead to Christ-likeness? This is a holdup for a lot, a lot of us from time to time. Like, in our day-to-day living, are the means in place? You know what I mean? Like, the, the, the wind in the sails to get our boat across the river. Are we participating in the life of God? Dallas Willard, really, he wrote all about participating. That's most of his books, about participating in the life, the eternal life with God. Like just shooting straight 60 minutes, 70 minutes on a Sunday won't disciple you. Hands down. Like, say for example... I spent three to four hours watching Fox News every night or CNN or Newsmax, okay? So that's a three-hour window. And then on a Sunday for 70 minutes, I came and heard some worship and a message, okay? Where is most of my attention? Who is writing my vision? Yeah? Who's right? Who's giving me the script? Shoot. Forget news. Sports Center. <laughs> and they even give you new hosts every hour. It's fantastic. It's something to think about. Or reels on YouTube, somebody. I mean, if, if we're not careful, what we have going on the inside is we have a vision, we have an intention, but then are we picking up God's word and letting saturate our heart? Are we finding ourselves, come on, there's days we don't feel like it, but we still show up. Are we finding ourselves listening to the Holy Spirit, reading the scriptures, taking time in his presence to let him form us? That's what Dallas Willard calls the means to reaching the destination, is that we have a vision for Christ-likeness, then we have an intention for stepping into that, and then we actually put into practice the means for accomplishing that task. Jesus would say, Luke eleven two, 2, right before the Lord's Prayer, 
what would lead into the Lord's Prayer. He says, when you pray, say. I think the Lord's Prayer is one of the building blocks of our prayer life. I'm convinced that in the Lord's Prayer, you get your vision. It shows you have intention when you say it and pray it. And it is one of the means that begins to transform us into Christ-likeness. I mean, it's mind-blowing how succinct it is and yet how profound it is that literally if we could come up under the Lord's leadership and surrender to Him and His ways, what begins to happen is we begin to live this out. Forgiveness. Man, refusing to become people bitter, remorseful, right? People that are healed, that are whole, that are walking in the words and the ways of Jesus. And so what does Jesus give us? He gives us prayer. He gives us his words. And it can transform us from where we are into where and who he has called for us to be. Make no bones about it. You are currently living in the most distracted society of all time in the history of humanity ever. Aren't you glad you came today for that good news? There's a chance you may have one of the most distracted pastors in the history of all time. <laughs> so if, I, if I'm coming across like I've got it all figured out, um, I do. No, I'm kidding. Um, but distraction... I believe, is our greatest temptation currently. I believe distraction is the greatest enticement of the enemy of our soul. A study was done just a few years ago, and it found that the, that the average American in the research and in the survey, they found that our attention span was seven, seven seconds. And that a goldfish's attention span was nine seconds. Like we being beat by goldfish right now, somebody. The greatest temptation currently plaguing our society, I believe, is distraction. Distraction. And so we propose, I encourage you, the beginning of the day, Pushing pause before splitting out to get the business deal done, get your work overload on, hop on social media. Before any of that, maybe we get on our knees. Maybe at the end of our bed, we slow down and we say the Lord's Prayer along with our scriptures and other prayers. Begin to invite him in to transform us. And I believe over time, God is so faithful in every season to honor that prayer. Think of today, delivering us from evil. Removing from us the temptations, the trials, the tests, and forming within us Christ-likeness. Amen? Let's pray as we close. Father, thank you again for this time, for your holy word, for leading us in the way everlasting, God. Thank you for this morning and the purposes and plans you have for our life, God. And we invite you, Lord, to disrupt the system of living that we find ourselves in. Would you give us a holy disruption? That Father, maybe for some of us, we've been trapped in sin cycles and are using it as a crutch, God. We've, we've settled it. We don't tell anybody, but somehow on the inside, we just said, ah, it's just who I am. It's just how I'm wired. Everybody does it. 
This is just who we are. Lord, I pray that we had never settle for anything less than Christ-likeness. For your mercy, meaning significant things for our life. The way we treat others, the way we treat ourselves, God, the way we care for this earth, the way we care for others, God. Give us a glimpse of heaven in and through our lives, God. And why not close together by saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much.